I think yoga is the practice of paying attention. On this podcast, Yoga Strong, we talk about what paying attention on the mat, what being aware and being present, whether you're in the studio or out of the studio or in the kitchen or with your family or with your friends in connection, in your heart, in your head. What does paying attention look like for your life? That's what this podcast is all about. That's what Yoga Strong is about. It's not just strong in your muscles and strong in your movement on the mat. It's strong everywhere. This is Yoga Strong with your host, Bonnie Weeks. Hello, everyone. I have had this idea for a while. And it is to read to you. (laughs) Kind of a funny thing to laugh about since you're listening to me anyway and listening to audiobooks and listening to podcasts, right? It's a thing. You're here and I'm here. But in specific, I wanted to read to you some things that move me. And I often talk about writing practice as uh, an exploration of writing in a way that makes you feel moved. And I'd say the same thing about moving your body or, you know, in any sort of way where it's going to impact another person or, you know, mostly it's often done for yourself. Like I would say art and movement and expression is done by yourself, but to do it in a way that moves you, not trying to move anybody else, but solely doing it because there is something in you that must come out and so not writing or moving or creating in a way to please another but that it will automatically move somebody because you're doing it from your center from you feeling moved and one of those people when I read their work it feels like that this person is Mary Oliver and she, her name is, is broadly, you know, known. And also it was a yoga teacher friend who first introduced me to her several years ago. And I still meet people often who do not know of her. She is a poet. She died in March of 2019 and she wrote prose as well as short poems. And I have her prose book titled Upstream with some of her selected essays. And she is somebody who, when I read her writing, it moves me. It makes me feel things. And the reason I can feel it is because it it moved her. And she lived how she wrote and observed the world by paying deep attention And the gift of her words to me and so many have been so impactful. But I want to read this story to you today and thinking, you know, just a reminder again, this is coming from her book of essays. So this is more story format and not a poem. I'm going to read several pages for you. So enjoy. This is in the book Upstream. This is a chapter called Swoon, and it begins on page 117. In the corner of the stairwell of this rented house, a most astonishing adventure is going on. 
It is only the household of a common spider, a small, rather chaotic web, half in shadow, yet it burdens with the ambition of a throne. She, for it is the female that is always in sight, has produced six egg sacs, and from three of them so far an uncountable number of progeny have spilled. Spilled is precisely the word, for the size and the motions of these newborns are so meager that they appear at first utterly lifeless, as though the hour of beginning had come it would not be deferred, and thrust them out, with or without their will, to cling in a dark skein in the tangled threads. I am less precise about the timing of these events than I would like. While I was quick to notice the spider in her web, I was slow to write down the happenings as they occurred. A concordance I now wish I had. I was, it was so casual at first. I was sure that something, probably a careless motion on my part, would demolish or tear the web and remove the spider from sight. But it did not happen. I began to watch her in October. And it's fair to say that being a poor sleeper, especially when away from home, I have watched her quite as much during the night as during the day. Now it is early December. I am extremely careful as I descend or ascend the stairs. Perhaps when I pass by she senses my heft and shadow, but she floats on her strings and does not move. Nor, I think, would she flee easily from any intrusion. Her egg sacs, all of them, are hanging near her, in an archipelago, the oldest at the top and the newest at the bottom, and without question she is attached to them in some bond of cherishing. Often she lies with her face against the most recently reconstructed, touching it with her foremost set of limbs. And why should she not be fond of it? She made it from the materials of her own body. Deft and plump, she circled and circled what was originally a small package and caused it to grow larger as the thread flowed from her body. She wrapped and wrapped until now the sack sways with the others in the threads of the web, not round exactly, but like a Lilliputian gas balloon pulled slightly along the vertical. And still she fusses, pats it, and circles it, as though coming to a judgment, then pats some more, or dozes, still touching it. Finally she withdraws her set of legs, curls them, almost as if a swoon or a death, and hangs motionless for a full half-day. She seems to sleep. The male spider comes and goes. Every third or fourth day I catch sight of him lurking at the edge of the web. What he eats I cannot guess, for the treasures of the web, which do not come, sometimes for many days, are to all evidence for the female only. Whether she refuses to offer him a place at her table, or whether he has no need of it, I do not know. He is a dapper spider. Being male and no spinner, he lacks the necessity of the pouch-like body in which to store the materials from which comes the bold and seemingly endless thread. He is therefore free to be of another, another nature altogether, small and shy and quick. Twice while I have been watching, when the egg sacs have been in the unseeable process of pouring the tiny billeted spiders forward, forth he has been in the web, perhaps like some male cat's, Another mammals also. He will take this arrival with ill humor and feast on a few of his own progeny. I do not know. Whenever I see him poised there and lean closer to him, he steps briskly backward and is instantly enfolded into darkness and gone from sight. It is five a.m. Good fortune has stuck the web like an earthquake, or has struck the web like an avalanche. A cricket 
Not the black, flat-bodied northern sort I'm used to, but a paler variety, with a humped shrimp-like body and whip-like antenna and jumper's legs, has become enmeshed in the web. This spider is not an orb weaver. That is, she does not build a net. Silken and organized and centered along a few strong cables. No, her web is a poor thing. It is flung forth, ungloriously, only a few inches above the cellar floor. What is visible is in a wild disorder. Nevertheless, it functions. It holds now the six egg cases and the cricket which struggles in a sort of sling of webbing. The spider now is never still. She descends to the cricket again and again, then hastens away and hangs a short distance above. Though it is almost impossible to see, a fine line follows her, jetting from her spinneret as she moves. She is wrapping the cricket. Soon the thread thickens. The cricket is bound with visible threads at the ankles, which keeps it from tearing loose with the strength of its huge back legs. How does the spider know what it knows? Little by little, the cricket's long front limbs with their serrated edges, flung in an outward gesture from its body, are also being wrapped. Soon the cricket's efforts to free itself are only occasional, a few yawnings towards push or pull, then it is motionless. All this has taken an hour. There has been nothing consumable in the web for more than a week, during which time the spider has made her sixth egg case and, presumably before that, carried through some motions of romance with her, co with her consort and produced the actual eggs. Her body during this week, I mean the dust-colored sofa button, bulbous part of her body, so visible to her eyes, has shrunk to half of its previous size. Then, as I continued to watch, the spider began a curious and coordinated effort. She dropped to the cricket, and with her foremost limbs, which were her longest, she touched its body. The response was immediate lurching of the cricket, also spider and web. Swiftly she turned. She was in fret, beginning the motions of turning, even as she reached forward. And then, even before the cricket reacted, with her hindmost pair of limbs, she kicked it. She did this over and over, descending touching and turning, kicking, each of her kicks targeting the cricket's stretched out back limbs. She did this perhaps twenty times. With every blow, the cricket swung, then rocked back to motionless. The only signs of life, a small, continual motion of the jointed mouth and a faint bubbling there, therefrom. As I watched, the spider wrapped its threads again around the cricket's ankles. Then, with terrible and exact precision, she moved toward an indentation of flesh, just at the elbow joint of the cricket's left front limb, and to the soft place she dipped her mouth. But, yet again, at this touch the cricket lurched, so she retreated and waited. And then again, with an undivertible aim, descended to that elbow where, finally, with no reaction from the cricket, she was able, for perhaps three minutes, to place her small face. There, as I imagined it, she began to infuse her flesh-dissolving venom into the channels of the cricket's body. Intermittently, the cricket still moved, so this procedure even yet required some stopping and restarting. But it was clearly an unretractable operation. At length, in twenty minutes perhaps, the cricket lay, uh, lay utterly qu quiescent. And then the spider moved, with the most gentle and certain of motions to the cricket's head, its bronze, visor-like face, and there again, surely, and with no hesitation, the spider positioned her body, her mouth once more at some chosen juncture near the throat, the spinal cord, the brain. Now she might have been asleep as she lay, lover-like, alongside the cricket's body. Later, hours later, she moved down along its bronze chest and there fed again. Slowly her shrunken body grew larger, 
then very large, and then it was night. Early in the morning the cricket was gone. As I learned from later examples, when the quiescent cricket was no more than a shell, she had cut it loose. It had dropped to the cellar floor where any number of living crickets occasionally went leaping by. By any one of them, it had been dragged away. Now the spider, engorged, was motionless. She slept with, she slept with her limbs enfolded slightly, the same half-clench of limbs one sees in the bodies of dead spiders. But this was the twilight rest, not the final one. This was the restoration, the interval, the sleep of the exhausted and the triumphant. I have not yet decided the mystery and enterprise for which she lives. The egg sacs and the young spiders. They emerge from their felt balloon and hang on threads near it, a fling, a nebula, only by putting one's face very close and waiting and not breathing can one actually see that the crowd is moving. It is motion not at all concerted or even definite, but it is motion, and that, compared with no movement at all, is of course everything. And it grows. Perhaps the spiders feel upon that tender hairs of their bodies the cool, damp cellar air, and it is a lure. They want more. They want to find out things. The tiny limbs stretch and shuffle. Little by little, one or two, then a dozen, begin to drift into a wider constellation towards the floor or the stair wall, spreading outwards even as the universe is said to be spreading towards the next adventure and the next endlessly. In six or seven days after their birth, the little spiders are gone, and my attention passes from that opened and shrunken pod to the next below it, which is still secretly ripening, in which the many minuscule bodies are still packed tightly together, like a single thing. How do they get out of that egg sack? Do they tear it with their fragile limbs? Do they chew it with their unimaginably tiny mouths? I do not know. Nor do I know where they all go, though I can imagine the dispersal of thousands into the jaws of the pale, leaping crickets. Certainly only a few of them survive, or we would be awash upon their rippling exertions. Only once in this space of time, after the bursting of three of the six pods, did I see what was clearly a young spider, many times its original burst size, and still no larger than a pencil's point. It was crawling steadily away through a last hem of the mother's web. This is the moment in an essay when the news culminates and, subtly or bluntly, the moral appears. It is a music to be played with the lightest fingers. All the questions of the spider's curious life made me ask. I know I can find answers in some books of knowledge, of which there are many. But the palace of knowledge is different from the palace of discovery, in which I am truly a Copernicus. The world is not what I thought, but different and more. I have seen it with my own eyes. But a spider? Even that? Even that. Our time in this rented house was coming to an end. For days I considered what to do with the, hero with the heroine of this story and her enterprise, or if I should do anything at all. The owners of this house were to return soon, no reason to think they would not immediately sweep her away. And in fact, we had ordered a house cleaning directly following our departure. Should I attempt to move her, therefore? And if so, to what place? to the dropping temperatures of the yard, where, where surely she would not last out the coming winter, to another basement corner. But would the crickets be there? Would the shy male spider find her? Could I move the egg sacs without harming them, and the wed intact to hold them? Finally, I did nothing. I simply was not able to risk wrecking her world, and I could see no possible way I could move the whole kingdom. 
so I left her with the only thing I could, the certainty of a little more time. For our explicit and stern instructions to the cleaners were to scrub the house, but to stay out of the stairwell altogether. Mm. Isn't that a delight? Thank you for listening to this short story, this selected essay from Mary Oliver. And let me know. How was it? How was it to be read to? And maybe I'll read you some more poems another time. Thank you for listening. Have such a wonderful day. <laughs>